All right. Let's pause for a second and say a prayer. Where's my coffee? Okay. Here we go. Lord Jesus Christ, Savior of the world, Savior of bodies and souls, we pray that you would unite us together in your name, that everything we do, we do to your glory and in love of our neighbors. We pray this in your most holy name. Amen. Okay, a couple of things, a couple of announcements. First of all, well, what do you guys want to do? Pastor Bruzik's not here. Should we have a party? (laughs) Gave me the keys to the car here. This is great. Um, A couple of announcements. I should get the housekeeping out of the way before I start telling jokes. On Wednesday, uh, so Tuesday and Wednesday, the pastors are gone to a pastor's conference in Wisconsin, so no Eucharist on Wednesday. Morning Eucharist on Tuesday, but not on Wednesday. No Eucharist on Wednesday. Okay. Number two, you saw the kind folks sitting at the table out in the commons asking you if uh, you could come by and have your picture taken. How's that work there? Two sets of dates. Is Carol here? Um, Laura, yeah. There's two sets of dates. It's in life together. Um, the 8th through the 11th of November and the 29th and 30th and 1st and 2nd of December. We were trying to do it. However, everybody that I tried to book, um, if I booked them on my phone, they kept giving me your time slot. So, so Laura's going to have a lot of pictures taken and you're all going to look like Laura, which is great. Good. <laughs> Okay, so easiest, I mean, easiest is if you go online yourself, if you go to the St. John webpage up at the top, there should be a button that says directory. If you click that, it'll take you to the sign up. What happens beyond that is outside of my control, so don't ask me any questions. I can't do anything about it, Um, but good luck. Sign up. It's great. You know, so we're doing, um, today we've got the high schoolers in the room with you. If you haven't noticed in the last, how long has it been, four years, they've changed a lot as have all the kids and, and the number of kids. And so uh, it's helpful for everybody uh, to have an update. Uh, many of you have changed, too. Grown more beautiful, and it's wonderful. So take your, have your pictures taken. I know I'm really working hard on uh, <laughs> warming up because I have other things to say to you later. Okay. Uh, Byron. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, uh, regularly, um, folks ask me, you know, what's that, what's their, what's his name, what's her name, Um, and, or they need to get in contact with somebody, or I've seen this person, I can't, you know, and then you try and describe to me who they are, and that's iffy, and so, yeah, directory is great for that, that reason. You get to know each other better. And one of the things um, that really uh, drives St. John, I, I know you know this, one of the things that makes things tick here is that it's such that you're so you're all so close with one another um, and this really helps to facilitate to, that to keep that going it's a work in progress right you have to keep you have to keep at it um, and as new faces show up you have to welcome them in as well okay uh, the baskets uh, money in the baskets will go to pads okay so put some money in the baskets to help out at pads do you have any questions what are your questions Perfect. So, uh, what, here's what I'm going to do today. So, I, for the, I teach the high schoolers on Sunday mornings between the ch- church services. Uh, this year, we've got a great class. We had, we've had great classes. I've got to say, so here's an indication of just how great your high schoolers are. This afternoon, I'm going to get into a 15-passenger van with 10 of them by myself. No armed guard, no 
assistance, and we're going to go into the city and see a play, and I feel completely comfortable. I'm not scared at all. It's going to be great. So your high schoolers are fantastic. Not only are they well-behaved, but they are also really very thoughtful. And so we've had a chance this year to uh, really dive into um, some, some rich and deep theology. And I want to give you a chance to hear some of the things the high schoolers are learning. So I'm going to do this in two ways. First, I'm going to give you, I'm going to catch you up to where we are. We're four weeks in. This is week five, uh, although it says week four on the sheet. It's week five. Um, so I'm going to catch you up, and then we're going to work on today's lesson a bit. We'll see how it goes. So this requires, of course, that you sort of set your minds back into being high schoolers. Don't go back. I know that it's going to be tempting to go back to middle school for a lot of you. Don't do that. Just stop at high school. Go back to high school. And we're going to uh, talk about Genesis and then about, uh, about bodies. So we're, one, of the, one of the frameworks for doing the theology that we're doing in high school Bible class is uh, what's broadly called the theology of the body. Pastor Nelson has spent quite a bit of time studying this. Um, and it really asks the question, what does it mean for us to be humans in that we have both, that we are both, consist of both bodies and souls? And as you can imagine, this is a pertinent question nowadays, and it's also super relevant uh, for, for high schoolers. It's super relevant for you, um, but it's a great time in high school to start thinking about these things. Thank you. So let's start at the beginning. We, we began the year uh, with, a, with a lesson that asked the question, what's, what's, what are things for? Which is a really broad, open-ended question, um, but it's also a really important question. So if I, what we, one of the activities to facilitate this discussion. I showed pictures of things to the kids, and I said, what's it for? And the, the fun of the, at least in my mind, the fun of the activity was you have to describe what a thing is for without using the name of the thing, and you have to tell us uniquely what it's for. So take, for instance, a baseball bat. What's a baseball bat for? Go ahead, anybody. What's a baseball bat for? To hit a baseball. You can't use the word baseball. I'm sorry. To hit a round thing. To hit a round thing that gets thrown at you. To strike a sphere. Okay, that's really generic. So, uh, let's see. Um, it's difficult, okay, <laughs> to play a game. Really, we end up with really sort of broad answers about what things are for. One of the things that you discover, if you keep going, you might say, well, um, if it's for hitting things, then if you're, say, for instance, Carrie Underwood, you use a baseball bat to smash the headlights on your cheating boyfriend's car. <laughs> right? You guys know that song. Um, but that's not what it's for. That's not what a baseball bat is for. That's one of the ways it may be used, right? But it's not what it's for. Now, with human things, with things that are invented by people, the question of purpose, what a thing is for, is really sort of up to our discretion. We decide what a thing is for. But it becomes more specific, less ambiguous, when we ask the question, what are you for? What are people for? What is your purpose? This is a question... Uh, to which the world has lots of answers. What's your answer? To glorify God. To glorify God, okay. Which is a, um, a true answer, perhaps a bit difficult to understand. Love. Love. Okay, we're getting closer to it here. Procreation. Lo- procreation. Interesting. The high schoolers did not give that answer. <laughs> Michael. 
Good works. Good works. Good. Okay. We are for doing good works. Gift from God. Say that again, Wayne. Gift from God. We. So we. You might say. Anything born is a gift. We are gifts from God, right? So this is a. So hang on to this thought for a second here. The next question we ask is about identity. I know you can't see this, but I'm writing it just for my sake, okay? Uh, so you are a gift from God. Hang on to that thought. Um, what you see, so in the interest of giving a nice, clear, concise answer, you can sum up all of this in really uh, a really easy way. You are for loving God and your neighbor, okay? That's what you're for. Now, I think it's interesting to sort of ask the question, what does the world think you're for? What are the other answers that are out there? Making yourself happy. happy. You are for being happy. Penny, what's that? Subduing the earth. Subduing the earth. Okay, so now this, so that word subdue is a great word because this actually is part of loving God and your neighbor. Subdue. The earth, unless you do it on your terms. Great. You're hitting, hitting the nail on the head. You see, one of the ways that God gives us instructions in particular to love him and love our neighbors in Genesis is be masters of the earth, right? Use the earth, cultivate it for the good to love your neighbors. Um, this goes wrong, as do many things, when we do things on our own terms. So hang on to that thought for a second there. We are for... Loving God and loving our neighbors, but there's a, a vast difference between what a thing is for and what it's used for. And you, don't have, you just use your imaginations to get a sense of what people are used for, what they use their selves for, and you see what need there is for us to think critically about our lives. Okay? So now, here's uh, another important way to think about this. Um, how do you know that this is what you are for? that you are for loving God and your neighbor. How do you know that? Michael. Because Scripture tells us. Okay, because Scripture tells us so. Where? Well, how, what are the terms that Scripture uses? You were created for good works. Okay, so that's, that shows up in the New Testament. We see um, in Ephesians, God has prepared good works for you um, beforehand into which you are now living. The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments tell you what God's will is for your life. They show you in, in more specific detail what it looks like to love God and to love your neighbor. Created in God's image. This is, this is where I, was, I wanted to take you back to the beginning. Okay, So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Well, it means a whole bunch of things. But it means especially that we are to be God's representatives, the representatives of his essence, of his person in the world. So we do in the world what God does from all eternity. Okay? Um, and that's how we know what we're for, because we are created in the image of God. So the image of God ends up being a really important identity marker. And uh, you, you have to bear this in mind as we go along, because the image of God is the first thing that suffers in the fall. Okay? Um, and the work of Jesus, not to spoil the story, is to restore to you the image of God. Okay. Now think, think a little bit more about this. You get, you get, a, you get at it here with uh, identifying you as the image of God. How else, is this, a, is this a complete answer to the question, who are you? No. What's missing? Okay. 
I didn't want to have to do this, but I'm going to. So here's, a, here's an important um, philosophical distinction. In fact, it's, I was just reading the Lutheran Confessions, the formula of Concord this week to make sure I was right. And um, it said, you shouldn't use this language, um, but you are all sophisticated people, and so I'm going to use it anyways. There's, there are these philosophical categories, essence and accident. Okay? Essence and accident. Essence tells you what about a thing cannot change in order for that thing to remain that thing. So the, the essence of a chair are the, the, the things about the chair that you cannot change without which it would, not, would no longer be a chair. An accident is anything you can change. So you can have a, a, you know, a, a white chair or a brown chair. You can have a chair that is, has three legs or four legs, right? You can have a chair with a back or without a back, but there are some things that cannot change about a chair without which you cannot have a chair. Does that make sense? Does that difference make sense? This is really just a way of describing what's, what we observe about the world. So uh, uh, given anything, there are some things, there are some characteristics that can be changed without changing the thing, and there are some things that cannot be changed. The same is true of you, okay? So there are some things about you which can be changed, like I could have a whole lot more hair, and I would still be me. Okay, um, so my, the length of my hair or the number of my hairs, you know, still, I'm still me. But there are some things about me that cannot change. For instance, if I'm no longer in the image of God, I am no longer me, I'm no longer human. Now, what does sin do to that? This distinction becomes really important because in the fall, you do not become sin. Okay, you don't go from being in the image of God to in the image of Satan or sin or what have you. Instead, what happens is the image of God in you, which is your essence, is so corrupted that it's beyond recognition. Okay? This is the important way that the Lutheran confessions talk about sin. So it's not a part of your nature as in, without sin, you would still be human, right? You would still be a creature of God. But it is so infectious. It drives so deep into your person that you right now can't be recognized without it, okay? So, uh, so when we come to the question of who are you, to say that, the, that sin somehow plays a role in that is true as an accident, not as a part of your essence. So it's not really definitive of who you are. Does that make sense? Okay. Who you are is somebody without sin. Uh, Somebody created in the image of God. Um, It's been so broken. Dennis. But original sin completely changes us. We can never erase original sin, so doesn't that change our essence? That's a great question, and this was a question that was asked... um, enthusiastically at the time of the Reformation. Because some, in order to preserve the severity of sin, to make it clear that you needed Jesus to do something, said, it must be that sin is, is your essence. The problem with that is to then say, is that you then say that God created something sinful because he created your essence. Okay, so you can't say that. But you also can't say that it, sin is so accidental, so incidental to your person that you can manage it somehow. So what the Lutherans end up doing... Here's, a, here's one of the key distinctions of, uh, distinctives of Lutheranism. 
is they say there are, there are many, many things that happen in theology and as we understand the Bible and as we understand ourselves that require new categories, okay? So if you look at the world, you say there are only things that are essential and things that are accidental. Those are, the, those are mutually, those are exclusive. That's it. That covers the scope of things. Well, we say when you talk about humans and about sin, we're actually talking about an accident that looks like an essence. It's a new kind of accident, Okay? This happens all the time. This isn't surprising that we get new categories. So, for instance, you say we've got a God who becomes man, right? Joined in one flesh, two, pers- uh, two natures in one person. Or in the Trinity, we have three persons in one being. Completely blows up our categories, right? You can't have three things that occupy the same space, much less the same essence. And yet there they are, okay? So, this, so it's not surprising. Same thing with the body and blood, right? That's a completely new way... And it's, in fact, the, sort of the, the philosophical attempt to understand what happens in the Lord's Supper says, well, we must have the essence of body and blood while we maintain the accidents of bread and wine. Do you see what, what happens there? So it's, it's body and blood in essence, but it just looks like bread and wine. That doesn't cut it because it's not what Jesus says. He says it is both body and blood and bread and wine. It's a new category. Bruce. If I understand you correctly, then um, the essence of God that is in all humans cannot be just taken away, but a sinner can walk away from the essence of God, which means, if I'm if, if I'm following your logic, that at the the judgment day when those people are condemned, is the essence of God is God going to condemn His essence in that person, or does the so, yeah, okay. So, so um, the walk to judgment day, you know, t- it takes this conversation a bit. It, there, there's more that needs to happen along the way, right? Um, but, you know, so, so what is it that happens in, in your redemption? So you've got a corrupted nature. The image of God is distorted beyond all recognition. Um, Christ come back, comes back and, and restores it for you. But, I mean... He, even you know, looking around, you say, I more or less see righteousness and goodness and kindness and love, people loving God and loving their neighbor, more or less. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes thoroughly and sometimes not at all. Um, and this is, you know, this is what takes place in, um, in you know, the divine mind, the way that God regards us, that somehow... Even though our nature has been so thoroughly corrupted, God is able to restore it in all people through the redemption of Christ. Christ died once for all. So now, to Bruce's question, what happens if you say, I don't want the image of God. I don't want to love God and love my neighbor. Well, then you don't. George. Doesn't that fall into the category of being chosen by God to begin with? That's right. So this gets at... um, just thinking about the high school lesson, but that's okay. We're going to just go. Um, this gets at uh, the, the character of love, okay? So there are, it's a difficult question, you know, why does God choose whom he chooses? The answer to that question is his love, okay? So he chooses you because he loves you. He chooses the world because he loves the world. For God so, God loved the world in this way that he sent his son, okay? Um, beyond that, you know, our perspective on God is 
through this story, this narrative of he loves the world in spite of our loveless, our unlovableness. Okay. Um, let's meander back to the path here now. How's that sound? Okay. So this is this is uh, helpful for telling you about who you are. Now, this was your fault, Michael, for saying sin. Okay. <laughs> so sin is not a part of who you are. What else is a part of who you are? Your actual personality that God gave you. Okay. Um, so now I'm going to push that a little bit and say, you know, uh, my personality might change. I might be one day grumpy and the next day really cheerful, right? Um, and I'm still the same person. Soul. Your soul. Your body. Your body. <laughs> Your gender. Okay. Okay. Now, here's the reason why I'm saying, I know, I know, so... <laughs> I know it's going to seem like I'm saying this um, because it's, because it's uh, relative, relevant to contemporary questions. And that's certainly true. But actually, the reason why we talk about this is because it's, it's, in the first place, because it's there in the text. So when God created humanity, what, did, uh, what, does, what, does, what does Genesis say about it? Listen to, listen to how it goes. And we're going to talk a little bit more length here. Hang on about why this is so important for understanding who you are. Genesis 1.27. Listen to what God says about who you are, your identity, what's essential to you in order for you to be you. 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So there's something peculiar about the way that God creates humanity which requires both male and female. It shouldn't be too surprising when we understand that God is three persons. Okay? You need more than one person to express love, to have a mutual affection. Um, but it, this also is really important for understanding who you are. So it's tempting, and this is the, the prevailing modern understanding of humanity is to say that there is this archetypical humanity and maleness and femaleness are accidents, things that we can slap onto that. Um, this text says that from the beginning, you are either a male person or a female person. Here's the reason why this is important. It reveals who you are. It reveals what you are for. So the fact that God, when he created humanity in the beginning, didn't just create a single person and said, fantastic, means that there was something more meant for humanity than just being alone. In fact, you remember what God says about creation. He's, you know, he, sa- he creates the, the light and the dark and says they are good. Seven times, right? The sea and the animals and the, the creatures and the birds and the plants, they are very good. And this is such a surprising thing. He says all of it's very good, and then we get to chapter 2, and he says, what? He, changes, he says something different. It is not good for man to be alone. Okay? So somehow in this good creation, there is something yet missing. And that is uh, what's revealed by the complementarity of man and woman. So man and woman reveal the fact in their bodies, in their persons, they reveal the fact that we are meant to love other people.
people, okay? In, in every degree. So marriage, husband and wife, is, is this sort of prototypical instance of this. But it, it filters down into every mode of love, okay? You were made, here's how we know that you were made for loving other people, is that you were created to be with other people. You aren't you without other people, okay? This is a part of who you are. And this is what is, uh, I mean, remarkably revealed by our bodies, okay? Um, and, it, and, it, and so it's praiseworthy, and the love that comes from that is uh, a reflection of God's image. It's a beautiful thing, and we, and we ought to cherish it, okay? Do you have any questions? Richard. I'm thinking of congenital defect. Yeah, right. Like that. Is masculinity and femininity bound by genitalia? Uh, so no, it's not. Um, to this to this extent, that uh, we don't live in a perfect world anymore. Things don't happen the way they were designed to, right? So, I mean, it's not it's not uh, far fetched at all. It's not difficult for anybody to understand the, the sense that some things that bodies don't turn out the way that God designed them to to be, right? And there are. Uh, you know, we might call them marginal cases or, um, you know, difficult situations where it's not clear how what we have, what we see, what we perceive can possibly be a reflection of God's design, right? This is the nature of that corruption. This is what, this is what you know, how corrupt things become. And this is not just about bodies, right? This is about people in their behavior, in their societies, in their um, thoughts, Things become, things are, things are not the way they were supposed to be, okay? So now, this then, this then borders on what is an eminently pastoral concern, right? Right? So how do I talk to you for whom the image of God might not be so apparent, right? Or for whom um, things that make you, things, things that don't com, you know, conform to God's apparent design make you feel like something less than the image of God, right? And there the word, the pastoral word of comfort, it goes straight to the resurrection, right? So what happens in the resurrection? You have your bodies, but they are glorified, meaning that they now are reflections of God's image, the way God uh, created you to be. And that is, I mean, to me, that is utterly hopeful because you know, even in the fact of mortality, right? So you observe your life and you say, uh, my body is failing from the moment I'm born. And for many people, quick, more quickly than others, how can this be a reflection of God's eternal glory, his image in my person? Well, it is in fact, it does in fact seem to be quite the opposite. Um, and that's where faith comes in, right? It's an article of faith. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit to say that what my eyes see is not the same as what God has created. This question also raises the question of you know, people identifying, you know, under different genders or whatever. Yeah. You know, that, that seems to be such a popular topic right now. Right. Um, can you comment on that? Because it seems like... Um, yeah, so, so here's what I would say really very plainly is that um, when we see things like, when we see like questions of a gender identity emerge, 
they are um, important for us to engage, but they are also not surprising. They're manifestations of the problem that we don't know who we are at all, right? Because of the corruption of sin, we really struggle with this question, who are you, right? This is why we have to start talking about it in high school and before, right? Who are you? If I'm not told that I'm created in the image of God, what am I going to think? I'm going to think I'm just some conglomeration of cells, right? And that the things that apparently give meaning to my life are just biological functions, right? Psychological experiences. If nobody tells me that I'm created in the image of God. So it's a manifestation of, you know, a really basic underlying problem for all of humanity. And not surprisingly, we find all kinds of different ways to fill the gap, right? To say, how do we identify ourselves? Who, who am I? Um, in, in, you know, sometimes in really superficial ways, right? I am you know, uh, a product of my success or my accomplishments. I, I am identified with my career and so forth, right? Things that are really transparent. In other cases, it becomes much more subtle. David. It seems to me like one of the things that we're dealing with is uh, the essence and accident uh, side of the discussion. Because where we're getting all messed up is where we see the accidents of uh, biology uh, and identifying them as if they were the essence. And that's certainly true. And this is why, so this is why actually asking the question all the time, I, I, this, is, this is the paradigm for, this ought to be a paradigm for your life. This is what, kind of, what I try to um, encourage the high schoolers to do, is to think, to think always about things, what is it for, and what's, who am I, okay? So what am I for and who am I? Those are the first questions you've got to ask. And if you, if you mix up the categories, right, if you misunderstand that, then there's a whole, a whole sequence of things that go wrong, right? So all kinds of symptoms that we see all the time. Um, and so that's why we, you know, ask the, ask the question, you know, what's it for? Who am I? David. I was just on the second question... I know when Pastor Nelson talked about this a year ago, he was also pretty clear about not self-defining who I am. Absolutely. Does God say that? That's right. That's why, that's why you can start in no other place than Genesis 1.27, right? You've got to start there, okay? Um, we have a lot of trouble with people trying to define themselves in whatever categories they want. That's exactly right. Yep. And so here, to, to that point, think about this. Here's the next question. So these are... Uh, you, you understand that in being the Im- in the image of God, we have these tasks. So we live out being the image of God by loving God and loving our neighbors. But there are other ways in which we are not like God. What are those, what are those ways? Other ways in which we are not given by God authority to do his work in the world. Can't we can't create anything, okay? Even as parents, you are surrogates for God's creative activity, right? You can't do it. You can't, you're not, you're not given to destroy things either, right? To take life. We see it in Genesis chapter 4 that it, it happens right away. Um, but that's not given to you by God. What else? Authority to judge. The authority to judge. We can't save ourselves, okay? So um, in, it, it, we're not like God in that we don't get to give, offer the verdicts about what's, who, who's, who's righteous and who's evil. We don't get to judge. We don't get to decide. This is the, key, the crucial point. We don't get to decide what's good and what's evil. Right? 
This, and this is the whole narrative of Genesis 1 through 3. They decided for themselves what was good and evil. And in so doing, they usurped what didn't belong to them as, a, as you know, being made in the image of God. Okay. Do you have any questions so far? So that was week one. Um, we're, great. we're covering good ground here in reviewing. And then, um, okay, so just, just move a bit further with me here. Um, we're going to watch a little clip. I want to I give you more of a sense. So uh, here's, how, here's how it often goes in high school Bible class. There's two, really, there's two dimensions to our discussions. One is biblical literacy. I, call it, I, call them, I give them really boring names in the hopes that the expectations will be really low and then it will be more exciting than the name. So biblical literacy and then theology and life. Biblical literacy, we're, we're, we're studying the texts of Genesis. And so we, we, you know, we read and we hear and we watch some videos about Genesis 1 through 11 so far. Um, and then we engage these broader questions. And so I want to show you one of the videos that we're watching, or that we would watch for today, about Genesis. And this is a, there's a production called The Bible Project, which I've found to be really, really helpful. Um, let's see. You got it? Thanks, John. Um, it's animated uh, videos that des- describe the stories of the Bible, the books of the Bible. Um, and they also have topical animations as well, topical videos as well. Perfect. Uh, thank you. So this one is about heaven and earth. And what's helpful here is that once you start to see the lens that God gives us in Genesis to understand what you're for and who you are, you find that the Bible is about this from beginning to end, sorting out this question. Look at those nice birds. That's great. So watch this, and then um, on that handout, what we usually what we do in class is I give the kids some time to answer the questions. So you've got three questions that have to do with this video. I'm not going to give you any time to write stuff down, so you have to think on your feet, okay? Okay. It's really well done. Uh, I commend, all, you know, they've got a hundred videos. Um, really good stuff. So, uh, answer the question. Sin separates things that belong together. What does it separate? There's a, we can, we, the list can go on and on, but let's hear some of the... God and man, I'm sorry. Somebody steal my marker. There it is. Okay. God and man. What was that, Lindsay? Said man and wife. God and man, man and wife. Notice now, so this is really uh, a, a crucial point here. Go back to the story in Genesis. You'll notice just how important bodies are in the story, right? So Adam and Eve are created, Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Adam, the, the creation story is told again, and Adam uh, sees his wife. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and it's great. And then uh, they're naked and not ashamed, and then chapter 3 hits. I mean, this is the drama of Genesis 1 through 3 is high drama. Okay, so they're created. Everything is great. Their bodies reveal each other to, to one another. They see that when, when I, Adam sees Eve, he says, that's Eve. Okay, in seeing her body, her naked body, he says, that's Eve. Then what happens in Genesis 3? They fall into sin, and what's the first manifestation of their sin? Why are you hiding, Adam? I was naked, right? So now Adam understands his body as this, uh, this potential not to be seen 
as a person, but the potential to be used, right? He feels vulnerable in his body, so he covers himself. The same goes for Adam and Eve together. They 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 realized they were naked, so they were ashamed, okay? Because... Uh, that the goodness of their relationship has been destroyed. What else has been separated by sin? Man and nature. nature. Okay, this gets back to um, a couple of things. So on the one hand, notice how we use nature as opposed to um, fulfill its purpose, right, so often. Um, But also, what does nature do to man? Think, I mean, just in the last month, right? Not good, okay? Uh, destructive power, right? What else is separated? Man and God. Ma- yep, man and God. Great, yep, I know, it's illegible. I know, I'm sorry. Uh, what else? Brother, son, yeah, people, yeah, every, ma- every manner of relationship, okay? People from people. What else? Heaven and earth. How about this? I was just going to say it, Carol. Way to go. Body and soul. Think about how unnatural it is for you to die and for your soul to leave your body. Isn't that unusual? Shouldn't be like that, right? You are a person having body and soul. Okay? What else? How about, how about in, in the need for sacrifice, flesh and blood are separated? Okay, so why do you need to cut the head off of the lamb? To separate the flesh and and the blood. Okay, so you get a sense, uh, and here's here's the sort of the culminating uh, separation, which I think gets, really ties together the stuff we learn in Genesis uh, 3 about determining good and evil for themselves. Sin separates things, from their purpose. Okay? So now, now the world is open to the possibility that things can be misused. Things being every range of things, right? Bodies, people, nature, what have you. It also separates actions from their meaning, the meaning that's been given to them by God. So here's another way to frame the question, what's it for? You can also ask, what does this mean? Okay? So, you know, what do your relationships mean? They should mean that uh, they should mean that you are reflecting God's image in the world. They end up meaning something different, right? Um, now, of course, this isn't the end of the story. Jesus comes, and enduring all of these separations in His own person, right? From my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To his flesh and blood being separated and his soul being separated from his body um, and justice being separated from goodness, right? Um, or the, you know, the government, the, the carrying out of the law being separated from justice. He suffers all of these separations in his body to bring them back together again, okay? Um, so in this world, we see that... We see people, we see ourselves as suffering from the loss of the image of God or the corruption of the image of God. We see this in every possible way, right? Our bodies don't look like they should. We don't behave like we should. 
the great hope that we have is that Jesus has already brought them back together. Okay? And so in the resurrection, what you see right now is going to uh, be completely transformed. It's not going to be different, right? You're still going to be you. But you're going to be exactly as God intended you to be, right? Instead of some lesser version of it. Okay. Got any questions? Let's see here. Do your homework. So if you, you can go ahead and... The, oh, for the high schoolers, and this, you can do this too, right? The back side of page one has a reading from Genesis 4. And then a question. And then a part of the catechism. And then you're supposed to pray the Lord's Prayer. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. By the way, Pastor Bruzek and Pastor Nelson are not just plain hooky. Pastor Nelson is at Camp Arcadia with the confirmation students, with many chaperones, not just himself. And Pastor Bruzek had a wedding to perform this weekend, so they are both uh, busy doing God's work. Thank you very much for coming today.